Our Father and our God who art in heaven, Lord, I can almost hear the trumpets of that great day. Father, as I sat here with my wife listening to the privileged uh, voice that ministered for you, I could picture, dear God, the heavens departing as a scroll. I could picture, dear God, walks in the cool of the day with King Jesus. Take us there, Lord. Father, what would it gain us to spend all of this time together and not be ready? Lord, we know that you're preparing a people. I submit myself to you, dear God. I submit my brethren. We submit ourselves, dear God, for your work. Work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure that when King Jesus bursts through the clouds of glory, we can sing this song again, dear God, and know that it is our experience. Take us, we pray. Father, even now, take me. Hide me in the cleft of the rock, my Savior Jesus. Bless us, that he alone may be uplifted and his word made plain as day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good evening, beloved. Good evening, beloved. What am I going to say next? Good evening. It's a privilege to be here with you again this evening, beloved. We have a most special subject to discuss this evening. It is a subject that men all over the world are interested in at this time. Did you know that? We're going to be talking about the mark of the beast. What are we going to be talking about this evening? Now, before we start talking about beasts and dragons and things of the sort, there is a name that I love to hear. It is the most familiar name that I know. And everywhere that I go that I begin to talk about the beast, I am always careful to make sure that the people hear this name before any other. Can anyone guess as to what that name might be? They may have read my sermon notes, Sister Ashley. It is the name of Jesus. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8. As we're dealing with the subject this evening, the mark of the beast, I think there's something very important that you and I must first know. In the book of Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, the Bible says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. The Bible tells me that the only people in our generation who will worship the beast and receive his mark, either in their forehead or in their hands, are those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, who is this Lamb, beloved? John chapter 1 and verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God, Jesus, which taketh away the sins of the world. Amen? Amen. Do you know that if we're developing, even this evening, a close and intimate and personal relationship with that Lamb, rather than receiving the mark of the beast, we will keep our names in that Lamb's book of life. 
Is that good news? Is there anyone under the sound of my voice who believes their name is there this evening? If I were to open my phone right now, do you know that my wife's name is in my phone? It's because I like to keep contact with Sister Ashley. Praise God. If I were to open up some of your phones right now, some of your closest friends are there as contacts. Isn't that right? How often do you talk to the Lamb of God? Do you know that if we're spending time talking to Jesus, Jesus has our contact saved. Jesus, in the same way that Brother Paul saves his loving wife's name in his phone, has saved the names of all those who come unto him. And so before we get into the mark of the beast, I want you to know that the best position we can be in this evening is in a position where we are friends of God. What do you say? Are you the friend of God this evening? Beloved, even if you weren't, I want you to know that Jesus is the friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend to men and women just like you and I, and Jesus can take a sinner, and by his grace, he can make a saint. We're going to be talking about the mark of the beast. Now, before we get into what the mark of the beast is, you know I have to spend some time telling you what it's not. Do you know that? On our screen, on the, uh, for you it should be the left side, it says, Texas will not take the mark of the beast. Now to that, I say amen. Praise God. Isn't that a wonderful sentiment? Now on the same sign, the sign says, vaccine for COVID. And then it says a, a bunch of other things that I, I, I won't uh, speak on right now. But the point is, there are many who have protested against the vaccine, believing that the COVID vaccine is in fact the mark of the beast. Now I'm going to tell you right now, even as yesterday, was I being mysterious? Was I being mysterious yesterday, beloved? We went straight from the Word of God. I'm going to be very upfront with you even from now. COVID-19 vaccination is not the mark of the beast. All right? Now somebody says, Brother Paul, you have to prove that to me. They're mandating this thing at my work. Some of us have lost our jobs. Others of us have, have taken the vaccine and we're at war in our household because of differences of opinion. Beloved, does Jesus care about all those things? But do you know that when we start to put private interpretation, uh, interpretation rather, upon the word of God, we arrive at confusion. The Bible said that the mark of the beast would be placed either in the forehead or in the hand. Was that right? Is there anyone in this room who knows of somebody who received the vaccination in their forehead tonight. Be very plain with me, beloved. Then by process of biblical elimination, we must conclude that the vaccine, not covering all of the necessary uh, identification marks, cannot be the mark of the beast. Is it plain? I think that's very plain, beloved. Now, with your permission, can we get into the Bible to see what the mark of the beast actually is? Do we want to see this? In the book of Revelation, chapter 14, verses 6 through 12, I introduced you to the Bible's big three. The first, the second, and the third angel's message. Do we remember this? Now, the third angel in particular had a specific warning that we want to begin looking at this evening. The Bible says, And the third angel followed them. 
saying with a loud voice, if any man vaccinates, is that what the Bible says? Beloved, you know I do this thing where I try to test to see if we're awake. We want to be awake, amen? Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to read with me and see what the Bible says. The Bible says, if any man does what? Mark that word in your Bible. If any man worships the beast and his image and receives his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day nor night, who do what? Worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints, beloved. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, some very crucial points that we need to highlight in order to understand what the mark of the beast is. The third angel says that that mark, which belongs to the beast, is intimately tied with the issue of worship. With the issue of what, beloved? Do we see that from the Bible? The Bible says if any man worship the beast and receive his mark, the Bible says they have no rest day nor night. Whoever worships the beast and receives his mark, the mark of the beast is inseparable from the issue of worship. Question, is the COVID-19 vaccination in any way tied to your ability to worship God? Now, what Brother Paul is not saying is that the COVID-19 issue is not important. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm simply saying, again, is that by the biblical process of elimination, COVID-19 cannot be the mark of the beast. The vaccination cannot be the mark of the beast because it doesn't go in your forehead, for one, and it has absolutely nothing to do with worship. Amen. 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 Are we following? All right. But we do see from the third angel that this thing called the mark of the beast is intimately tied with worship and it is contrasted, beloved, with those who keep the commandments of God. So then the mark of the beast is directly antagonistic to the commandments of God and it is directly and intimately tied into the issue of, say it with me, worship. What is the mark of the beast. Do you know that one of the reasons why it is so difficult for us, for Christians rather, in this generation, to discover what the mark of the beast is, is because that is precisely how we ask the question, what is the mark of the beast? Well, the Bible says nothing about the mark of the beast. The Bible speaks of the mark of the beast. The Bible breaks it up in such a way that if you and I were to identify the beast, then we could properly identify, guess what? The mark. But when we put the words together as though it was one run-on sentence, it becomes very difficult to determine what the mark of the beast is. If I asked you, 
I'm trying to find a question that would, that would coincide. If I were to ask you, what is the shoe of the man? As opposed to asking you, which shoe does Brother Paul wear on this evening? It would be a very difficult question for you to understand. The shoe of the man as a, as a run-on sentence, as opposed for me asking you, which shoe does Brother Paul wear? When I ask the question, which shoe does Brother Paul wear, you know not to go looking at Brother Todd's feet. You know not to go looking at Brother Joshua's feet or Pastor Rob. You know that the shoe you're looking for is on the foot of guess who? Brother Paul. In the same way, when we look at the text that the Bible is saying, the mark of the beast. The person who by the word of God can identify the beast first will be able also to identify, guess what? The mark. Does it make sense? Does it make sense, beloved? So then in order to understand what the mark of the beast is, we want to know from Bible prophecy, what exactly does a beast signify? Is that a good question? Now, last night we were in the book of Daniel chapter 2, and there was a king of Babylon by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Do you remember him? No, some of you went home and had a dream and forgot all about him, just like he did. There was a king in the book of Daniel chapter 2. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had a very impressive dream, a dream in which an image was standing up, head of gold, arms and belly of silver, belly and, and thighs of brass, legs of iron. Then at the end of the image, there was miry clay blended with the iron, and there was a stone cut without hands from a mountain that struck the image, and the kingdom of God was set up. Now, in this image, we saw that God was giving a breakdown of the succession of kingdoms until the coming of Jesus Christ. Lord have mercy, I don't want to give the answers away. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of what kingdom? Babylon, which was represented by the head of gold. Do we remember this? Did Babylon continue ruling until 2021? No, it fell, didn't it? To what power did Babylon fall? Medo-Persia. Somebody says, Brother Paul, you're helping us. That's all right. Medo-Persia, through King Cyrus, conquered Babylon. In Daniel chapter 5, the Bible speaks of a king the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, by the name of Belshazzar. And Belshazzar, uh, the Bible says that the writing of God's hand came in on the wall while he was having his Babylonian party, and it wrote on the wall, Mine, Mine, Tekel, Upharisin, which meant that his kingdom was fallen and God had given it to the Medes and the Persians. And so after the death of King Belshazzar of Babylon, we find Medo-Persia coming on the scene. Is Medo-Persia ruling in 2021 today? So then what happened, beloved? Another kingdom. Does anybody remember what kingdom that was? Yes. Does anybody remember the special name of the king who was responsible for that? We have some historians in the room, Sister Ashley. Alexander the Great defeated King Darius III of Persia at the battle of, Lord help me, Gogamela. Amen? We did better tonight. The Battle of Gargamela, some call it uh, Arabella or Arabella or something of that nature. Uh, my pronunciation isn't the best, but bear with me. King Alexander the Great came on the scene and it was the quickest 
conquest that history has ever seen. Alexander the Great was not even yet uh, 32 by the time he was ruling the then known world. Did you know that? Let me tell you something, beloved. When God gets a hold of us, he can do anything at all. David was a young man when he slayed Goliath. The Bible speaks of a king that was eight years old. His name was Josiah when he was the king of Israel. The Bible speaks of a prophet by the name of Samuel who was called at the age of 12. Let me tell you something, beloved. God can do anything with any young man and any young woman. And even when we're older, praise God, if we would but submit ourselves to his leading. God is good, beloved. I digress. King Alexander... Ruler of Greece conquered Medo-Persia, but after that is the kingdom of Greece ruling in 2021 today. Then somebody, I'm not going to help you this time. What does history say? What kingdom represented by the legs of iron conquered the Greek kingdom? Praise God. Pagan Rome, beloved, the Roman Empire. This is the same empire that was ruling the day in the days of Christ. Is that not right? Do you know that it was a Roman guard, a governor rather, his name was Pilate, who condemned Christ to die? It was Roman guards who nailed Jesus to a cross. It was Roman guards that were set around his tomb to make sure that the resurrection would never take place. But by the grace of God, there was nothing Rome could do to keep my Savior in that tomb, beloved. And so history is clear. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, all of these things. But what about a beast? Daniel explained very clearly in Daniel chapter 2 what the image represented. And we understand that in the same way gold is greater in value than silver, silver is greater in value than brass, Brass is greater value than the iron, and all the way down, we see that the kingdoms of this world, without the leadership of God, have not gotten better, but they've gotten worse and worse. Are we in a better position today than we were back then? Is there a need for God today, just like there was a need back then? Beloved, do you know that there is nothing wrong with you and I understanding the need of Christ today? But there is an issue when we take our need for God from the church and we seek to blend that with the working of the state. Do we remember... I want us to pay close attention because there's a greater emergency than that which is out there. As a matter of fact, Father God, whatever the emergency may be, may your angels fly swifter than that truck and assist our brethren is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, at the end of the image, we saw that the iron of Rome would eventually try to mingle with the miry clay. Do we remember this? And I showed you from the book of Jeremiah that the God that we serve is the potter, but the people, the church, we are the clay. So when you get a blending of iron representing the state with the miry clay representing the church, what are we really talking about? A joining of church and state. That is the generation in which we live, beloved. We're living in a time where men are talking about using the civil power to enforce moral laws 
using the civil power to enforce moral laws. We're going to understand this as we move forward, but the question still remains, what is a beast? Daniel chapter 7. Let's go in our Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter 7, beloved. I believe that any question we have for the Word of God, God has an answer from the Word of God. Daniel chapter 7. And you can say amen when you're there with me. In the book of Daniel chapter 7, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. So Daniel has a dream, and he's about to tell us what the dream was in verse 2. Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts. For what, beloved? It's important that we note that before John started prophesying about beasts in the last days, there was another prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Daniel who dreamt of beasts. Amen? It says in verse 3, And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first beast was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given unto it. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise and devour much flesh. Verse 6. After this, I beheld and lo, another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given unto it. But after this, beloved, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. And it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns. And behold, there came up among them another little horn. Before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in his horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great or blasphemous things. Daniel had a dream in which he saw how many beasts? The first was like a lion. The second was like a bear. The third, a leopard. And the fourth? Well, the fourth was so terrible, there's really no description for it, is it? Daniel says that the fourth had teeth like iron. Daniel says that the fourth beast uh, 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 stamped all of these people into residue. Daniel says that this fourth beast had horns and a little horn that came up out of that beast that spoke blasphemous things. Now, that's an impressive dream, don't you say? 
Somebody says, no, I'm not impressed with that. Beloved, I think that's a very... Listen, if I had a dream like that, I would, I would get on my knees and I would pray. Lord, what meaneth these things? What does it mean? What are these beasts? The point that I'm making right now is that Daniel saw how many beasts? Do you suppose in the book of Daniel we can get the answer to what those beasts are? Do you suppose that if we can get the answer to what those beasts are, the Bible can help us understand the beast in these last days? All right, beloved, the Bible says in the book of Daniel chapter 7, same chapter, beginning at verse 15, I, Daniel, this is after the dream, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head did what? Troubled me. Beloved, I would be troubled if I dreamt this dream too. Because, Lord, when I'm seeing beasts come up, and they're eating, and they're doing this, and all these various things, the only thing I can think about is perhaps the zoo is going to break loose. Is that what Daniel saw, beloved? Follow on. I came near unto one of them that stood by, and I asked him the truth of all this. What does this mean? So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four what? Kings. Now it's interesting. Do you remember when God chose to speak about the kingdoms of the earth? In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, while the head of gold represented the kingdom of Babylon, Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that the head of gold represented him, the king. Do you remember that? So a king represents his kingdom or nation, correct? These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all of the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth, beloved, I should have highlighted this for you, whose teeth were of, his teeth were made of what? His teeth were made of gold. His teeth were made of silver. His teeth were made of what? Are you beginning to see a connection? The Bible says that his teeth were of iron and his nails are of brass, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom. The fourth beast would be the fourth one, two, Three, four. The Bible says in the book of Daniel chapter 7 that when you're dealing with beasts in Bible prophecy, you are dealing with kingdoms. Are we following? So when we go to the book of Revelation now and we're talking about the mark of the beast, step number one is to recognize that you're talking about the mark of a kingdom. Is it clear, beloved? Is it clear? So what we're seeing here in the book of Daniel chapter 7 is that God gives a vision to Daniel representing the exact same thing that he had already showed to Nebuchadnezzar. By the lion was represented that first kingdom, the head of gold, also known as Babylon. 
Babylon was to be overtaken by the kingdom represented by the bear, which was Medo-Persia, the arms of silver. Medo-Persia was defeated by Greece, which was a leopard with four heads. Now, interestingly enough, do you know that when Alexander the Great, king of Greece, the Macedonian, when he died, his kingdom was split between guess how many generals? Four. There's a reason why the leopard representing Greece in Daniel chapter 7 has four heads. Because while that leopard that symbolized the Greek kingdom conquered the world under Alexander the Great when he died, it was four generals to which his kingdom was separated. And the fourth beast, beloved, which had teeth like iron, just like the iron in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, which symbolized the, emperor, uh, the empire of Rome, represents that exact same kingdom. When we're talking about a beast, in Bible prophecy, we're talking about a kingdom. Is that plain? We're going to move forward now. Is it plain, beloved? All right. What about this other beast in the book of Revelation chapter 13 that the Bible warns us about in these last days that has a mark, that commands all of the world to worship it? If we're talking about the mark of the beast, we're talking about the mark of a kingdom. Let's go to Revelation chapter 13. In our Bibles, Revelation chapter 13, I want us to see what prophecy has to say about this special beast. Revelation chapter 13. And I use the word special loosely. It's not a term of reverence. It's just uh, to let you know that it has significance in these last days. It is a special beast. Amen? Significant beast. Revelation chapter 13. The Bible says, beginning at verse 1. Are we there? And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast. What is a beast again, beloved? Kingdom. So I want you to begin to reading, uh, I want you to begin reading the Bible as the Bible has interpreted itself. If the Bible says that John saw a beast rise up out of the sea, then we need to read, I saw a kingdom rise up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and upon his horns were ten crowns, and upon his heads were the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a? It was like unto a what, beloved? Question. In Daniel's dream, in Daniel chapter 7, was there a leopard that he saw? Follow along. Because nothing in your Bible can be thrown away. Do you know that everything that is written in prophetic word is for our understanding in this generation? God never says something on accident, and everything he says, there is intent behind it. The fact that Daniel saw a leopard in his day, and John now sees a beast that is likened unto a leopard, is significant. Follow on. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were the feet of a... Did Daniel see a bear, beloved? Yes, he did. And his mouth was the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it was wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wandered after the beast. And they did what? 
Mark the word in your Bible, beloved, because the final issue concerns worship. It says, and they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast, and they did what? Worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue for forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds, all tongues, and all nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall do what? Worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. If any man has an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Now, beloved, was that a lot to digest? You know what I'm going to tell you, right? We need to make sure that we have not only the notes from yesterday's study, but the note from tonight's. Beloved, on our screen here, we have a breakdown that helps us to identify this beast in Revelation chapter 13. Is it imperative, is it important that we know who this beast is? Absolutely. The Bible said in Revelation 13 that this kingdom emerged from the sea. Does anyone know what sea waters represent in Bible prophecy? I heard people Revelation chapter 17, let's confirm that from the Bible. Revelation chapter 17, we don't want uh, a man's idea, whether it be Brother Paul or Brother Paul's brother in the pew. We want it from the Bible, praise the Lord. What do seas represent in Bible prophecy? Revelation chapter 17, are we there? Verse 15 of your Bibles, the Bible says, And he said unto me, the waters, the what, beloved? The waters which you saw where the whore sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. The Bible says in Revelation 17 and verse 15 that when you're talking about water, this beast came out of the sea, amen? Is the sea, a, a, is the sea water? So when you're talking about water, the Bible says you're talking about people, about nations, about tongues. You're talking about a beast that came up in a densely populated area. Are we following? Are we following? The Bible said that a beast is a kingdom, amen? Now Revelation 13 is telling you that this kingdom that you're looking for, this kingdom who in the last days will force the entire world to have a mark, this kingdom emerges from what the Bible calls the sea. And the Bible confirms in Revelation 17 and verse 15, as we just read, that the seas represent people. So we're looking for a kingdom that emerged in a densely populated area. Does it make sense? In Psalm chapter 18 and verse 4, the Bible gives you another text where it says that the, the, the flood of wicked men persecute God's people. 
Water always represents people. It always represents people. If you have a large body of water, like the sea, then you're talking about many people. But if you have very little water, you're talking about very little what? People. The Bible says that this beast is a composite of the four beasts of Daniel chapter 7. In Revelation chapter 13, the Bible said that he looked like a leopard. The Bible said, but he had the feet of a bear. The Bible said, but he had the mouth of a lion and all of these things. Beloved, is that a beast that you can point to at your local zoo? Somebody says, Brother Paul, have you ever heard of a liger? You know, they, 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 blend, they blend animals together sometimes. Don't they do that? But have they ever blended together a beast that has the body of a leopard, the feet of a bear, and the mouth of a lion? You could Google all you want, beloved. You won't find it. So what it tells us is that the Bible is speaking symbolically. It's speaking how? Symbolically. And we know that the leopard, the bear, and the lion were beasts in Daniel chapter 7 that Daniel dreamed about. The lion represented the kingdom of Babylon. Amen? Which was conquered by the kingdom represented by the bear that was Medo-Persia. And Medo-Persia was conquered by the four-headed leopard, which represented... They're running ahead of me. I didn't even get to ask the question, Sister Ashley. It represented Greece. Praise God. This is good. It represented Greece, and Greece was destroyed, or conquered rather, by the Roman Empire. Now, question. Does anybody know from the Bible the significance of this beast being similar to a leopard? What do leopards have on their bodies, beloved? They have what? Spots. How often do you find a leopard that does not have spots? Pay close attention to what I say. Did you know the Bible says that Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or blemish? I don't know if you're getting the connection, beloved. If Jesus is coming back for a church without spot or blemish, is there any under the sound of my voice tonight who want to retain spots and blemishes? We want to be cleansed by our high priest, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, amen? But the Bible speaks of a kingdom that has the spots of a leopard. Go in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 13. Jeremiah chapter 13. We're allowing the Bible to speak for itself this evening. In the book of Jeremiah, the Bible answers the question, what is the significance of this kingdom that has the spots of a leopard? Jeremiah chapter 13. Say amen when you're with me. Jeremiah chapter 13, we're going to begin at verse 23. The Bible asks us a question. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Or the leopard change his spots? What is the answer? Can an Ethiopian man change his skin? You mean to tell me that if I decided today I wanted to be a blue man, I couldn't do it? That's not possible. Now, I might know a, a few good scientists who might be able to help me out, but, but the Bible says that is unnatural, amen? In the same way, the Bible says that the Ethiopian cannot change its skin. It says that the leopard cannot change its spots. Then may you also do good that are accustomed to doing what? Evil. The Bible says that we're looking at a kingdom that is accustomed to doing evil in the same way that the leopard is accustomed to having spots. The same way that the leopard cannot change those spots, 
The same way that the Ethiopian cannot change the color of his skin, the Bible says in the same way this kingdom that we're getting ready to see cannot undo what she has done. Is it clear? Is it clear, beloved? Some of you look like you think lepers change their spots. The Bible is making this thing very plain for us. In Jeremiah chapter 5, in verse 6, the Bible says something else, speaking about this leopard-like kingdom. Jeremiah chapter 5. And I want you to know that everything you're seeing on the screen, I have written for you in your handouts. So we need to have the handouts so that we can go back and study. Beloved, trust me, Bible prophecy is not something that we get in one night unless we're Daniel sleeping on our pillow. We need time to study. What do you say? Amen. Jeremiah chapter 5. Speaking of this leopard-like kingdom, in verse 6, the Bible says, Wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf of the evening shall spoil them. But a leopard, beloved, a leopard shall do what? Watch. Do you know that it is in the nature of the, the leopard before it pounces? Simply to watch. The kingdom that we're getting ready to talk about, some of us may say, Brother Paul, I have never seen that kingdom do anything. That kingdom is, is full of lovely people. I, I've never seen that kingdom in all of my personal life do anything wrong. The Bible says that leopards don't immediately pounce, beloved. They take their time and they do what? Watch. Are we following? Beloved, if, I don't know if, if any of you have ever watched, uh, there was a... a there was a show called Nature. I believe it was on Discovery Channel. Nature, are you familiar with that? And in Nature, one of the things they would do is they would follow around the lions and the bears and the tigers and the, and the leopards, and they would watch the tendencies of these animals. Do you know that as you're watching the tendency of these animals, Bible prophecy tells us that if you understood how they move, you would begin to understand how the kingdoms of earth function. When you're talking about a lion and how it functions, you're talking about Babylon. When you're talking about a bear and how it functions, you're talking about Medo-Persia. If you're talking about a leopard, you're talking about? Is it clear? But the Bible said that while this beast in Daniel, uh, Revelation chapter 13 looked like a leopard, it had the feet of a bear. In the book of Proverbs chapter 4, in verse 26, the Bible will tell you that the feet are symbolic of the way. The feet are symbolic of the what? The way. So if you're talking about the feet of the bear, then you're talking about the way of the bear. Is it clear? Who did the bear represent again, beloved? Talk to me. Medo-Persia. Does anybody from their Bible know what the way of the Medo-Persians was? Turn with me to Daniel chapter... Six. I want you to see something about the way of the Medo-Persians because if we can see what the way of the bear was in the days of Daniel, we can understand this kingdom and the way of this kingdom who has the feet or the way of this bear. Daniel chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. Are we there? The Bible says, Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king. And they said unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains, have consulted together to establish a royal statute. 
and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, except for you, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed, that it be not what? That it be not changed, beloved, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. The Bible says that the way of the Medes and the Persians was once they signed something into law, it altered not. It could not change. In other words, beloved, there is a kingdom in these last days who, just like the Medes and Persians, claims infallibility, claims that it has no need of change, claims that whatever it was in the past, it had a right to be that, claims that whatever it is today, it has a right to do that, and it will not alter, it will not change. Is it clear? The Bible said that this beast not only had the feet, not only had the way of the Medes and Persians represented by the bear, but this beast had the mouth of a lion. And in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 5, Daniel chapter 4, the Bible will show you that the mouth of the lions represent uh, speaking blasphemously. Do you remember the name of the king of Babylon in Daniel chapter 2 who had the dream? What was his name? Nebuchadnezzar. Do you know that the Bible shows you a very interesting story of Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar, while beginning as a heathen king, was eventually converted to God. Did you know that? God had spoken to the man by dreams. God had spoken to the man by visions. The prophet was right there in his court, Daniel by name. And God actually won the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. But you'll study in the book of Daniel, and you'll see that in spite of all the signs, in spite of all the evidences that were given to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar often spoke blasphemously. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 that it was God who sets up kings and it is God that cast them down. And not too long from that dream, the Bible tells you that Nebuchadnezzar said out of his own mouth that I am the one who made Babylon. Beloved, when we take the position of God, if God says he sets up kings, can I say that I set up kings? If God says that he cast down kings, can Brother Paul say that he cast down kings? To do so would be blasphemy. To do so would be what? So when the Bible speaks about the mouth of the lion representing Babylon speaking blasphemously, that is precisely the behavior we find in this final kingdom. Has anybody yet figured out what the kingdom is? I'm going to be very honest with you. If I were a visitor and I was sitting in the pew, I would say, Brother Paul, these are wonderful things that you're talking about, but I don't quite yet get it. I don't yet understand what is the kingdom that you're talking about. I can understand that in Bible prophecy, a beast represents a kingdom, so I know that it's a kingdom I'm looking for. What is the kingdom? Are you ready to know what it is? All right. Revelation 13 told us that this kingdom would receive its power and its seat and authority from something called the dragon. Revelation chapter 12, let's turn there. Revelation chapter 12, beloved. What is a dragon in Bible prophecy? 
Because if we can understand who the dragon is, we can understand where this kingdom received its power and more accurately declare who the kingdom is this evening. Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse 7, the Bible says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. The Bible says that in a primary sense, when you're talking about a dragon in Bible prophecy, you're talking about the devil, Satan himself. Is that clear? But Brother Paul, aren't we talking about kingdoms? Yes, we are. Does Satan work through kingdoms on this earth to accomplish his goals? Go to verse 1 of the same chapter, Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 1, the Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, and the moon was under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. The Bible says that John saw a woman in prophecy who was clothed with the sun. Now don't worry, the dress was not hot. That's not what it's talking about. She was clothed with the sun. And under her feet were the moon, and on her head was a crown of twelve stars. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6 and verse 2, the Bible tells you that whenever you're dealing with a woman in Bible prophecy, you're dealing with a symbol of his church. The Bible says, I have likened the, the daughter of Zion unto a comely and delicate woman. So follow me. Pure woman, God's church. Amen? Impure woman, some other church. Amen? Will God's church ever be an impure woman? No. So if we find another woman in Bible prophecy that the Bible describes as impure, are we talking about God's church or are we talking about some other church? So we're following. Interestingly enough, the 12 stars that are upon the head of this woman, do you remember when Jesus uh, started his church? In the days of Ephesus, the apostolic days, do you remember that Jesus chose how many disciples? How many disciples? Do you suppose that the 12 stars on top of this church symbolized, in a way, those 12 disciples? Follow on in the text, beloved. The Bible says, speaking of this church, in verse 2, she was crying with child. She was pregnant, beloved, travailing in birth, and she pained to be what? Delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads, how many heads? And ten horns, how many horns? And seven crowns upon his heads. Beloved, please pay attention. Read that with me one more time. There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having how many heads? How many horns? And how many crowns upon his heads? Hold your finger right there and go back to Revelation 13 and verse 1. 
The Bible said, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast, a kingdom, rise up out of the sea, having how many heads? How many horns? And how many of his horns had crowns? Ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. Are we seeing a similarity between the dragon of Revelation chapter 12 and the beast power of Revelation chapter 13? Back to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 3. He had seven crowns upon his head. Verse 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered. For what purpose? To devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, beloved, I'm going to speak very plainly with you, so follow me. Who was the child that the church was waiting to deliver her. Are you sure? Was it Jesus? Talk to me, beloved. Was it Jesus? I'll give you confirmation. The very next verse, the Bible says, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule how many nations? All nations. Beloved, he is king of kings and lord of lords. He was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was what? caught up unto God and to his throne. Are those words true of Christ? So then follow me. What we're seeing is that the dragon, in a primary sense, represents Satan. Amen? But Satan works through earthly kingdoms to accomplish his purposes. Amen? And the dragon here represents a kingdom that Satan used to try and destroy Jesus right at his birth. Does anybody know the name of that empire? Was Herod a representative of the Roman Empire at that time? Did Herod make a decree? Where is it, Lord? In the book of Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, did Herod, a representative of Rome, make a decree to kill all of the children at the time that Christ was born? Yes, he did. Did Rome later on condemn Jesus to die? Did Rome nail Jesus to the cross? Were the Roman guards centered at his tomb to make sure that a resurrection never took place? So then the dragon that we're speaking about in Revelation chapter 12, in a primary sense, represents Satan. But in a secondary sense, when you're talking about the kingdom that is represented by the dragon, you're talking about the Roman Empire. Is it clear? Is it clear? Well, if that's clear to you, beloved, then I have a question. In Revelation chapter 13, the Bible said, speaking of the beast kingdom, that this kingdom would receive its power from the dragon. So then is it possible that this kingdom received its power from the Roman Empire? We have four minutes. We have how many minutes? I want you to follow me very closely. We're going to take a brisk walk. Amen? Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece. What did all of these kingdoms have in common? When Babylon fell, it was because a Persian king killed the king. Amen? When, Persia, uh, when Medo-Persia fell, it was because Alexander the Great had defeated them in battle. Amen? When Greece fell to the Roman Empire, it was because Rome's military might was too overwhelming for them. Do you know that the Roman Empire... 
is the only empire out of all of those kingdoms that did not fall by military might? The Bible said that the kingdom that would come after it, Revelation chapter 13, the kingdom that would take the place of the Roman Empire would not do it by conquest, but that the beast, or rather the, uh, the, the, the dragon, would give it its power, would give it its seat, and would give it its authority. Beloved, when the power of pagan Rome declined, 351 to 476 AD, the power of papal Rome began to increase. As the church accumulated more power and influence, when the emperor Constantine, what was his name? Constantine, 306 to 337 AD, when Constantine blended paganism and Christianity into one, around 321 AD, Rome became the religious capital of the world. There was an emperor by the name of Constantine the Great, Roman emperor, who blended paganism with Christianity. Did you know that? Did you know that there are things going on today in the Christian churches that the Bible calls pagan? Was it not God who said that we should not bow down to idols? And yet in our last days, there are good Christian people, mark my words, good Christian people who bow down to statues of Mary, who bow down to statues of Peter. Did you know that in the Vatican there, 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 there's a statue of Peter that the feet of Peter have been kissed so much that the feet have actually begun to erode? You wouldn't be able to tell the toenail from the heel. There was an emperor by the name of Constantine the Great who blended paganism and Christianity together. And when pagan Rome disappeared from the scene, something that we call today papal Rome took its place. Does anyone in here know what papal Rome is? Does anyone in here know, I'll use another word, what the papacy is? I'll use another word. Does anyone in here know what the Roman Catholic Church is? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met a Roman Catholic? Wonderful people, amen? But wonderful people, amen? Wonderful people, amen? I need you to understand this evening, beloved, that as we're talking about Bible prophecy, the purpose is not to bash people. We're not dealing with people. The Bible tells you that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the rulers of darkness in this world. There is a great controversy. There is a war going on right now, and there are many of our brethren who have no idea what it is that we're talking about. Now, I see the clock says 15 seconds, beloved. Mercy. Where's my brother? I don't see my brother, so he's not here yet. I'm going to ask you, for five minutes. Is that all right? We're talking about a system, beloved. We're not talking about people. It's imperative that we catch this thing. And if you don't catch it here, you'll catch it in your notes. Amen? Amen? All right.